space. Time. Reality. It's more than a linear path. It's a prism of endless possibility. Well, that doesn't sound ominous at all. going to be the new series what if what if what if is an american animated anthology series created by ac bradley um for the streaming service disney plus based on the marvel comic series of the same name it is the fourth television series in the cinematic marvel cinematic universe the mcu it's produced by marvel studios and the studio's first animated series the series explores alternate timelines in the multiverse that show what would happen if major events from the mcu films occurred differently bradley serves as a head writer with brian andrews directing um, I am not too familiar with uh, A.C. Bradley as an artist. Uh, let me see what she's best well known for. Arrow, right, she was a writer of Arrow, Trolls, Three Below, and she's the writer and executive producer of What If. She's going to be the writer and producer of Miss Marvel. And uh, yeah, she is not terribly super well known. But I gotta say that you know there is some um, there is some interesting stuff under her belt. Uh, I do know some people like Arrow. I haven't heard too much about Troll Hunters or Three Below, uh, Tales of Arcadia. These look like uh, animated series as well. Um, Arrow being the live action series. So what if? I uh, let me give you a little bit of background from it. Um, it is a little bit of action, adventure, anthology, science fiction, superhero series. It's uh, starring the same titular way that Rod Sterling was the host of the Twilight Zone. Um, Jeffrey Wright is basically our Rod Sterling in this. Jeffrey Wright is hitting hitting those notes of you know what if Captain America didn't get the superhero serum or something like that you know he's sending these very elaborate voiceovers that um i personally enjoy i don't know anybody that doesn't like uh what's his face uh jeffrey wright i gotta say that he's got this magnetic uh presence and performance that uh i i i can't like grasp even in this vocal performance he is such an actor you know with pinky up and everything like that i i really like having him in the mcu so um with saying that we have uh jeffrey wright he is basically the host as well as what is called the watcher he narrates the series uh, alongside many uh mcu film actors reprising their roles uh, September 2018, uh, Marvel Studios was developing a number of series for Disney Plus with Bradley and Andrews joining by the end of 2018. The series was officially announced uh, in April 2019. So 
Um, Marvel Studios head of visual development, Ryan Meandering, um, helped define the series cell shaded animation style. Now, there's different parts about this uh, what if series that is going to have people in different uh, excited in different ways. I think the cell shaded animation style is a, a step in the right direction for giving it this comic book kind of feel, but it also feels very much in the realm of having cgi heavy computer animation it, it feels like we're steering away so far away from handmade hand-drawn animation that sometimes i miss it I, I do miss it um this was uh the cell shaded animation style was designed to reflect the films and take inspiration from classic american illustrators um i like classic american illustrators i don't always feel like this is uh, the best way to do it because sometimes illustrations when they move are completely different from when they're just 2d uh, stagnant figures and so um, Animation for the first season is provided by blue spirit squeeze and flying bark productions with Stephen Frank uh, Franick uh, as head of animation uh, The first season of what if premiered on August 11 20, 2021 and will consist of nine episodes uh, concluding um, on October 6th. It is part of phase four of MCU. Uh, a second nine episode season is expected to premiere as early as 2022. So they are um, making all of these uh, animated classic what if uh, uh, anthology shows as we speak. And one thing that I will bring to the attention of everyone is you know, animation does take a lot of time, but it does not take nearly as much money and uh, I don't think as many materials, uh, physical materials, as having a live action movie. So the benefits of having this What If series is we are able to expand and live in the world that has been created by the live action movies that are already living in our heads. You know, we can we can see what would hypothetically happen if Peggy Carter got the superhero serum instead of uh, Steve Rogers. Um, same thing with, you know, uh, there's different types of what if scenarios that uh, allow you to kind of say, uh, let's look at the narrative as we know it and then do a remix on it. Now, what I'm finding is some of the best uh, episodes. I've watched the first four episodes and we'll talk about each one. Uh, not super detailed and not from the comic book standpoint because I'm not a comic book reader. Uh, I, I'm coming at it from strictly from the television standpoint. I just got to say that the uh, coming from this standpoint is, uh, you know, it's a lot more beneficial to watch this series if you understand and you remember the timeline, the storyline, you've read the comics, you're always going to get way more out of this. But is this movie, is this series successful just on its own? In my opinion, yes. Um, I just realized that we're in stock and finance. So I need to change that real quick. Just chatting. Okay, so yeah, there we go. People in the stock and finance are like, what are we talking about? What if? What if I made a billion dollars on stocks? <laughs> Sorry. Um, so anyways, uh, by the way, anyone um, watching, listening um, to the VOD, be sure to check out the twitch.com slash podcast. We are streaming this live where you could be asking questions in real time. So um, let's talk about these 
different episodes that we've gotten up to now. It's four different episodes at the time that I'm recording this. The first episode, let me see. So before we hop into the first episode, the premise is following the creation of the... Uh, this is going to have a little bit of spoilers from uh, the Loki series. Because of the way the Marvel series works, you basically have to watch each single thing. Oh, they They loosely watch okay what i'm saying is you have to watch each single property to understand the small bits and pieces that are going to be in the next bits of uh bits of tv movies and media that they're releasing so like i said the wandavision the captain and falcon uh show and then the loki show you watch each one of those kind of building up to the what if series so assuming that you've seen all of the what uh the the marvel stuff up to here you've probably seen Loki as well if you're a, a big fanatic as uh, if you're a star sorry a, a Marvel fanatic just as everyone else is so assuming you've seen the end of Loki let's continue on um, following the creation of the multiverse and Loki's first season finale what if explores the various alternate timelines of the multiverse in which major components from the Marvel Cinematic Universe film occur differently so, as I said earlier, uh, Jeffrey Wright plays U Uatau, I think, slash The Watcher. He is a member of the alien Watcher race who observes the multiverse. Um, and so he cannot and chooses not to, like, interfere with the timeline. He can and he can. He can interfere. He just chooses not to, which. I'll talk a little bit later. Maybe, you know, is that going to be for sure for, you know, for long? Um, you know, I'm not sure. So, uh, let me push this back a little bit. There we go. All right. So, continuing on, I think, okay, so. Without getting too spoiler heavy, uh, I don't want you to see all that yet. But so, for everyone that is listening and wondering, should I watch the What If series? That's the that's the question of the hour. I would personally say, um, you know, how invested are you into the Marvel Cinematic series? Do you want to be um, super invested like that? Yeah, let me get that. Do you want to explore the different, quote-unquote, what-if possibilities? What if some of these superheroes didn't become superheroes? What if they became um, uh, evil? Or what if they became uh, hunted down? What if they became different types of superheroes? What if they were kidnapped? What You know, the possibilities of the what-if series are very wide. And very strong. There's a lot of different types of stories you can play with, with having this type of uh, storytelling. So, by saying that, I want to make it clear that not, these first couple episodes are are inconsistent in my opinion. The first episode uh, is kind of giving us the best case scenario of like you know what if Peggy Carter became Captain America and took the serum instead. Um, and it basically is showing the clips through the Captain America movie, but what if Peggy was 
learning her powers instead of Steve Rogers? And how would that, you know, formulate? And so uh, on the face of it, it can be very interesting. But if it's not handled with like subtlety, it can be a little bit ham-fisted. So it's, it, when I say that is like, so what's the most obvious thing that would happen when uh, Steve, Steve didn't get the serum and Peggy gets the serum, uh, Peggy does? It would be that, you know, everyone in the 40s or everyone in the time that it was, I think it was like 30s or 40s, everyone would say, oh, a woman can't do this, a woman can't do that. And I can see why that would be annoying. It, it, it's like the, the easiest thing on the face of it is like, okay, make it make her have problems that only, only women would have. Um, and so I can definitely see that that would be, it feels a little bit patronizing. It's like, yes, a woman can do this. Yes, a woman can do that. You know, a woman is just as strong as a man. It feels a little bit uh, half-baked in this first episode. It's not necessarily like the worst or anything. I think this thing, the thing about the concepts of this uh, what-if show are that most of the concepts are really strong. They're really interesting. It's just the writing in sometimes the direction is inconsistent. Um, the first two episodes, I feel like, are weaker on that front. Um, uh, this first episode, what if Captain Carter were the first Avenger? During World War II, Steve Rogers is chosen to become the world's first super soldier, but is wounded by Hydra, by a Hydra spy before he can receive the super soldier serum. SSR agent Peggy Carter kills the spy and volunteers to receive the serum herself. And I like how they decide it's like she the the writer is AC Bradley. She says the moment in time that is the divergent uh the, the, the divergent part of this uh, story is for her to decide that she wants to be in the room with the rest of uh, everybody else. Apparently in the movie, that's the, the movie uh, says that Peggy Carter decides to leave the room, but by staying in the room, there's an explosion and, and there's things that happen to uh, propel her to become the new super soldier in this what if series. And so I, I think on the face of that, it's good. And I think that from the cinematography standpoint and understanding that uh, the visual language of this, I think, is strong. It's just sometimes the translation of of live action to move to uh, animation, and they're doing shot for shot remakes a lot of the times in this uh, what if series that it doesn't always translate. Um, one thing I noticed is some people have we, we may not understand what's going on but there's a reason that some people's voices transfer a lot better than um other people's voices or other people's characters do you know what i'm saying when i when i mean by that is uh i think sebastian stan is in the second episode and there's a lot of things i like about sebastian stan's character i don't think that his voice is one of the strongest parts of it um i will say that um there are parts of the superhero genre that we may not be a hundred percent absorbing and understanding why we like the superhero. I mean, uh, for, I know this is a uh, DC language, but for Superman, I think a lot of Superman, um, the benefits of Superman are the imagery that he provides. A lot of the things are not what he's saying, but what he's not saying and how, how he carries himself. I've, that's kind of the best way I can kind of, uh, reiterate how I'm feeling but I don't know if the way that all of these characters and live action are are 
carried over organically into um, What If. So with saying that, I do like the first episode. I don't love it. I think the action scenes are amazing. I think the cell shaded animation look can be a little bit off kilter sometimes, but it's not the end of the world, to be honest. Um, so Peggy Carter ends up getting the super serum herself. She is successfully enhanced but banned from combat by SSR leader John Flynn. After she takes the Tesseract from Hydra with a vibranium shield created by inventor Howard Stark, Flynn reluctantly promotes her to the combat role of Captain Carter. Uh, Stark uses the Tesseract to create a weaponized armored suit for Rogers to pilot as the Hydra Stomper. So by everything that's happening in this What If series, we see that the Iron Man uh, suit, uh, the first Hydra Stomper, is um, brought to the forefront way earlier than it would have been when uh, uh, Tony would have eventually got the Tesseract uh, stuff in the cave. Carter and Rogers fight... Carter and Rogers fight many battles until he goes missing while attacking a Hydra train. Um, there are really cool fight sequences. I, I, the fight sequences in all of What If, I think, are some of the best shot. It's some of the best uh, laid out, storyboarded, whatever you want to call it. I, uh, it's uh, clearly got the most time put into it, mostly because it feels like it's choreographed really well. Um, yeah, so... When the Hydra Stomper is flying and, you know, we have Peggy Carter on the back, like, shim, you know, like, taking out all the fucking uh, Nazis and shit like that. Bad fucking ass. That was cool. Um, And another thing I got to uh, mention is how David Chin brought this to my attention on one of his YouTubes is that they are trying to stay in this realm of being grounded because we're still trying to be in the live action MCU in a way but we are still going a little bit above and beyond what would normally be able to be done in uh, in animation so um, I do kind of like how they're trying to thwart that line the biggest problem I'm seeing is these first two episodes people are getting their absolute asses hand to them in many many cases and their faces or their appearance of the animation character aren't changing. Like, I'll see people are getting a freaking, like, fist and a throat, like, punch to the face or something like that. You know, people are getting fucked up left and right. And they will ba barely have a scratch on them. And so it just feels like it's unfinished animation when it comes to that. I understand that it's, like, TV 14, so it's, like, not exactly for kids, but it's not exactly for adults. We're some sort of in the middle, in, the, in a way, because we're saying hell and damn and all this stuff. But still, I wanted to see a little bit more stakes that were happening to, you know... I wanted to see some reactions uh, of what, what they were having to go through, you know, so... I don't know if reactions are the right thing, but I, just things that had happened to him, I wanted to kind of see that they had lived. It, it still feels like they haven't lived even after they've gone through this uh, crazy uh, what-if scenario. So um, I'm seeing that they last from uh, about 30 to 40 minutes each. I did find this first one a little bit long, but in a little bit predictable as well. Um, so let me continue. 
Carter and her allies find Rogers and they infiltrate a Hydra base and see Red Skull using the Tesseract to open a, a portal and summon an interdimensional course, uh, sorry, creature, which kills him. It was this big ass like octopus shit. Like, is octop the big octopus things are like in right now? Because between Suicide Squad, we have What If, and then we have, uh, I think another What If where they're trying to like fight a an octopus or sea creature of some sort. It's like the, the sea creatures are in right now. <laughs> they are hot. Carter emerges. Uh, sorry, Carter enters the closing portal to force the creature back. Almost 70 years later, the Tesseract opens another portal, which Carter emerges from meeting Nick Fury and Clint Barton. So it, a lot of these, what if episodes are leaving in a way that feel like it could bring in more story. And it, it's kind of like a cliffhanger in a way. Like, is there going to be more story? Is there not going to be more story? Or that's the end of the story, that kind of thing. Um, and that's what the cool thing is about these series. It's like we could continue to have these or we could just end them at, at the end of the uh, episode. Um, so let's continue on to episode two. Um, let me see. In 1988, the Ravengers are sent to Earth by a Celestial Ego to retrieve his son Peter Quill, but mistakenly abduct a young T'Challa from Wakanda 20 years later. T'Challa has become the famous intergalactic mercenary Star-Lord and has been convinced by Ravenger leader Yandu Yandanta that Wakanda was destroyed. Nabella approaches the Ravengers and proposes to steal the embers of Genesis. Nabella approaches the Ravengers and proposes to steal the embers of Genesis, a cosmic artifact capable of eradicating galactic hunger from galactic kingpin. Tanalan Tivian. Jesus. Am I saying that right? I don't know. Uh, at Tivian's headquarters on Nowhere, they offer him the Power Stone as a distraction. At the same time, T'Challa looks for the Embers, but he finds a Wakandan spacecraft that was searching for him. Nabella seemingly betrays the Ravengers who are captured, but this is another ruse to... Another ruse to obtain the embers titans slaves karina rescues uh sorry taven's slave karina rescues t'challa and helps the ravengers defeat tivian um t'challa forgives udanta for lying about wakanda and they return there so t'challa can reunite with his family elsewhere ego approaches quill uh, Dairy Queen Janitor. So, you can probably hear it in my voice that that was that was <laughs> remarkably hard for me to get out, just <laughs> as is. Um, but was saying that 
it's great to have uh, on the face of it. It's great to have um, Chadwick Boseman come back to re- reprise his role um, I, as T'Challa, not technically as Black Panther, um, but he T'Challa is apparently a much better Peter Quill than Peter Quill ever was. If Peter Quill hadn't become who he was, then apparently the world would have been mostly pretty good up until the end. Um, so I gotta say that. This one, this specific, the my problem with this specific episode was that it feels like a hangout episode and not exactly in a a fun hangout way, you know? It, it feels like a hangout episode in a way that would be, oh, it's, it's the best of the best. It's all your favorite characters hanging out at the bar and they're all doing their own thing. They're not fighting with one another. There's some of the good guys, some of the bad guys. It felt like almost like when you're playing a video game and people are just hanging out in like the main menu area. And it felt like that's kind of like what was happening is that T'Challa was like running, you know, he was running into a lot of individuals that were happening uh, to be in the uh, in this world. But the problem was I did some of it felt inorganic. Some of it felt like the voiceover were just, uh, they were just saying things and they weren't exactly, you know, oh my gosh, I'm your biggest fan, you know? And it's it's very, uh, Mary Sue might not be the right word, but it feels like a lot of things that I would want to say to, to, to real life superheroes or real life famous people or something like that. And I feel like the writing on the, on the face of it was very, half-assed in a way not not half-assed sounds like I'm, I'm i'm being a little bit uh i'm being a little bit harsh on it but what i'm saying is i feel like they were saying things that were not exactly on the face of it interesting um we have thanos pop up for one point and he's just saying how t'challa decided you know with one conversation he just um t'challa uh, told Thanos he didn't need to destroy half the universe kind of thing just small things he's running into so many different characters I feel like there is an emotional through line of Yondu being the father figure for T'Challa and him coming back at the end and saying you know this is you know this would have happened regardless kind of thing and I'm just trying to do the best for you it's not exactly reckoned with at the end because T'Challa is taken away from his family but yet the majority of the episode feels like it's just him hanging out in space with a bunch of uh, the best of characters Um, and then when we go to see um, what is his face Uh, the galactic kingpin uh, what what the hell is this dude's name Uh, the collector Um, the collector is huge and yoked and played by Benicio del Toro, and the dude doesn't even act anything alike like he was in the Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, as well as we get a little Howard the Duck uh, uh, sighting as well. Like I said, it feels like T'Challa is just like walking through what would feel like a remix of the Guardians of the Galaxy two, and for better or for worse, it feels way more relaxed. 
And then when there's a massive fight at the end, and it's wrapped in the guise of uh, a heist as well. So I know my, my mind's kind of all over the place for this second episode. It's mostly because I feel like the second episode feels like an, an amalgamation of random shit happening. And it really relies on the viewer knowing the story and remembering Guardians of the Galaxy 2 I ha or Guardians of the Galaxy 1. I haven't seen Guardians of the Galaxy 1 since probably it came out in theaters. What was like mid 2013 or something like that or 2014 I don't remember exactly but um I just felt like this was an episode that you probably needed to see either it was best served with a comic book or best served watching the movies most recently because there are callbacks there are things that had happened you know they showed Nabella's uh, eye at one point you know it she had been tortured but she's okay kind of thing I don't know um overall I think this second episode is got really high ambitions. I think all of these episodes have really high ambitions. Not all of them are executed to a T, though. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my take on this second episode. Let's hop into the third episode because we are with the episodes going. I think they generally only get better. Um, so number three is what if the world lost its mightiest heroes um, over the course of a week? S.H.I.E.L.D. director Nick Fury attempts to recruit heroes for the uh, Avengers Initiative, but they are each mysteriously killed. Natasha Romanoff injects Tony Stark with an unexpected fatal injection. Clint Barton accidentally shoots and kills Thor before dying in S.H.I.E.L.D.'s custody. Bruce Banner Hulk explodes, and Romanoff is attacked and killed while investigating the murders of others before she dies. Roman Before she dies... Romanoff tells Fury that the murders are related to hope, quote-unquote hope. The Asgardians led by Loki arrive to, sorry, the Asgardians led by Loki arrive on Earth to avenge Thor. Fury proposes an alliance to apprehend the killer. Fury deduces that Hank Pym is the murderer and has been using his shrinking technology to commit murders as a revenge for death of his daughter. Hope Van Dyne, uh, who died in the line of duty if, as a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Um, Fury and Loki defeat Pym, who is taken into Asgardian custody. Um, Loki chooses to stay on Earth, becoming its ruler. Fury begins assimilating more heroes and finding Steve Rogers frozen in ice and summoning Carol Danvers to Earth. Um, was Hank Prim played by... Uh, yeah, okay, so it's the Michael Douglas character. Um, so yeah, I do find the third episode one of the most interesting because it feels like we're dropped into the middle of a third act of a movie. And we already know these characters. The problem with the first two episodes are that the first one is the best of. It's the best scenes that they could find from the the Captain, the first Avenger movie. And they basically just swapped out Peggy Carter for it. The second one was a complete remix. And I think they just have way too many characters that they don't have a chance to really focus on any emotional ties. The third one, I, I feel like works the best from the first three mostly because we know the characters we know the story we know what's going on and it has a very simple premise uh low concept of saying that you know we have 
all these different Avengers and they're being hunted down. And we know how hard it is to hunt down the Avengers based off the last 10 years of Marvel movies, how badass they are. So it's like for something of this magnitude to be happening, what the fuck is going on? And so that's why I like the third one. We are put into a situation where it's just like, this is, this is crazy impossible. And when it comes down to having uh, the voice acting as well, we have Nick Fury back. Uh, we have Samuel Jackson back as Nick Fury. He's, he's good on and off screen. We re we realized when I say off screen, he's good, uh, animated just voiceover so um i i gotta say from the voice acting in this i think it, it all really works well i think the is that the only character we have that i don't want to go through too many of the characters because i don't want to spoil myself but i'm pretty sure sam jackson was the only one that we have in this um maybe i don't know if the hulk was played by what's his face um i don't think it the hulk was played by ruffalo yo mark ruffalo did yeah he did and hiddleston is loki so yeah there are a lot of the original voice actors that come to play their own characters which i do like one thing i forgot to mention in the second episode was that big ass whooping that the collector gets from uh, t'challa and just everyone fighting each other not a scratch, not a scratch. And that's the big problem with it is because people are going through these crazy, the first, the, sorry, the second episode, people are getting their asses handed to them, not a scratch on them, barely anything. And so when we get to the third episode and everyone is literally being hunted down by these random ways, you know, people are getting shot, people are getting exploded, people are getting injected inside. It, and it starts off with killing Tony Stark. It's just like, holy shit. We got stakes. We got to understand that there are actual stakes. And uh, I think that's one of the best parts about this one. And it's dark as shit. We see basically uh, Natasha Romanoff beat beat to death by an invisible guy, um, which is pretty damn intense, as well as having the Hulk explode. Uh, I was just like, this is, this is next level. So, um, and the way that it's done, it, it makes the most sense as well. So... I'd say it's a little bit weak at the end, just how it how it ends just kind of feels like a little wrap up, you know, oh, and we're done. You know, it's like, wait, I think we just lost a lot of people. You know, this, this is far from over. Um, but yeah, I do think the third episode is probably one of the strongest. They probably should have started it off with this episode. Don't know why they wouldn't. Um, but yeah, uh, from all of all of those standpoints and the visual the visuals, I think, are some of the best in episode three. Just seeing the heroes that we know and love um, go through these crazy, crazy things. It's just like, oh, shit. And they even brought back uh, Liv Tyler's character as well. Be when, um, you know, she's like, no, Bruce, no. Nah! You know? <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay, so um, this is the fourth episode, and this was my favorite episode, even though it's relatively hardcore fridging, but we're, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, the fourth episode is the best, in my opinion, because it focuses on a single moment in time. A lot of these, a lot of these uh, what-if shows are talking about a single moment in time and how they... Uh, unfold different ti different times in the multiverse thus revealing normally just a, a completely different timeline 
The fourth one shows us what seems to be a single timeline, sorry, a single moment on the timeline. And it's when Dr. Stephen Strange is trying to save his girlfriend. And I believe it's, she is uh, played by Rachel McAdams in the movie and in this, the voiceover, I believe. So this is what if Dr. Strange lost his heart instead of his hands. And I got to say, this is one of the only, maybe the third one, but this, this one specifically feels like it's the best adapted from a comic book. I'm not exactly sure if it is, but I'm pretty sure it is. This would be one that I would want to go check out on the comic book just to see what really happened. That's some crazy shit in here. So what if Dr. Strange lost his heart instead of his hands? After losing his girlfriend, Dr. Christine Palmer, in a car crash, Dr. Stephen Strange travels to Kamar Taj and learns the mystic arts. He discovers the Eye of Agamotto, which can manipulate time, but is warned by the Ancient One and Wong that doing so could destroy reality. Two years later, Strange repeats, repeatedly attempts to use the Eye to save Palmer, but she still dies in every scenario. And so having this start off with them uh, go in the, the sports car and get into the wreck uh, for the first round or the first time you see it, it's like, oh my gosh, this is, this is really sad. This is kind of intense for an animation, especially on Disney+. Plus. This is like something on the level of uh, love, death, and robots, you know, just some next level adult shit. So they literally fridge... Christine, Dr. Christine Palmer the first time and Strange is just kind of he's so upset about it that he has to rewind not once not twice but like a bajillion times to try to save Christine Palmer and no matter times how many times he's trying to rewind the time it is like we are seeing a montage of Christine die in so many different ways it is almost laughable at a point where it's just like no matter what he does, she's going to die. And it is heartbreaking. It it sucks that that's the way the story was written, I guess. But it also, it, it's a super fridging episode. If, now, if anyone understands what fridging is, fridging is um, generally uh, taking of the uh, the female character in a, in a movie. Generally, it's a female character in a movie. And having her die... Um, in order to have, in order to propel the plot of the main character, which is normally a white straight guy. Um, I understand the problem with that. I got to say that I don't feel like this one was focusing on that to that degree, as in like he needs to, it, it certainly is fridging in a way, because we're, we're taking out the female character and no matter what he does, she has to go for him to progress emotionally. And so that's the that's where the problem comes in for some people. But let me continue with this just to say that this was one of the most heartbreaking episodes from an animation standpoint that I've ever seen. It was um it, it rocked me emotionally. It rocked me from like the uh the cinematography, the uh, the the voiceovers. There was a little little bit of the animation I wasn't crazy about when you know she, she's talking and they're just having one on one talking, but the majority of this episode I almost forgot I was watching an animation, and that's 
really good storytelling. So, um, the Ancient One tells Strange that Palmer's death is an absolute point in the timeline that cannot be undone. Um, the strange, but Strange refuses to listen. Using the power of the Dark Dimension, the Ancient One splits Strange into two alternate versions within one universe, I believe. One Strange accepts Palmer's death, while the other discovers how to gain power by absorbing mystical beings, becoming strange supreme. And he's like absorbing anything from like little gnome creatures, like to other little like like people and things and creatures and dragons. And he's like just like absorbing everything he can. And eventually, evil strange is going to have to face good strange and um. I got to say, this was this was like intense. And when you find out how long he's been in there, it's just that he's been in there centuries, which I don't think that that would be possible to be in there centuries. That means he's like in there hundreds and hundreds of years. Of evil strangers just absorbing all of these like entities and stuff like that. Like centuries would mean he's hundreds of years old. I don't know if that's possible, considering that there's still people alive. Like Rachel was still alive. There's somebody. There were people that were, Rachel wasn't still alive, but there were people that were still alive in that timeline that I don't know if they could have been alive if it was centuries year old, centuries old, but that's, that might not be, he might've meant decades and I might've caught that wrong, but I don't know. Anyways, there's going to be good strange versus evil strange. And so the evil version overpowers the good strange, absorbs him and uses his power to resurrect uh, Palmer. Okay. So this is when Palmer comes back. Um, tearing reality apart. Strange Supreme begs the Watcher for help, but he refuses to intervene. Palmer disintegrates and uses the universe, and the universe collapses, leaving Strange Supreme to grieve alone. And just continuing on how this ends, the fabric of reality is like closing in on him and the world as he knows it is like evaporating into this like goo and he brings back Palmer at the very end just like he wanted but that was not in the way that he wanted to do it he had to turn into a monster for her to come back and he is just begging and asking Jeffrey Wright's watcher to help and Jeffrey's like I done told you you done fucked up and I gotta say the 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 watcher i generally love having his presence throughout this entire series i love how he's just like in the background of stuff he's talking to us as the care as the uh, narrator even like you can't 100% see his outline of his face and you can kind of still see him talking um really like that this was the first time i thought the watcher didn't look good in the series and i was a little bit bummed about it he's kind of turned to the side and he's like looking a little bit but his head looks like three times larger than his body so it looks like uh like a baby head on like a man body but with a i don't know it, it's it's kind of weird to describe and he's just like you done fucked up and he's just like backs up and lets the fabric of reality just destroy itself and so um there is some possibility that the watcher may become may uh, you know more entrenched into the fabric of reality of the MCU. I think what the big thing is uh what I've heard is that the watcher is part of 
a series of guys or there's sorry not a series of guys it's a he's part of a group of watchers of some sort and they accidentally caused some sort of uh uh genocidal death of some sort of uh, some figures of some sort so the watchers have caused uh, genocide and by the genocide they decide we can't touch the fabric of reality we can't do anything we we don't we don't want to fuck up again and have that happen and so thus they don't want to intervene um but i mean hell the fabric of reality is already fucking gone by the end of this one so you dumb fucked up on that one um there is going to possibly be a crossover of these what if events now each one of these episodes are their own little universes within them so they aren't episodic in that nature, but they might be in a way for the watcher to intervene in some way. He might pick some of cherry pick some of the best things, some of the best uh, heroes or events or whatever the hell, and bring them into his reality of some sort. But that's just my guess. I'm not exactly sure if he ever will. So, um, yeah, it, it's a little bit all over the wall um, with the writing. Uh, the action is where it, I think, thrives the best. When they focus on um, individual uh, characters and individual people and not like tons of different... I think it's when they, they focus on the people and not on the moments that they work the best. Um, but that's just me personally. Let me know what you thought about the What If series, episodes one through four. Let me know how I can improve the podcast. Um, let me know what you thought about, obviously, the episodes and whatnot. See if there's anything else we need to look at. Disney Plus. Da -da 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 -da. Yeah, we'll continue to watch this season. If it's like a super crazy ending, we'll do like a wrap-up of the What If uh, series. Otherwise, this will just be kind of standalone as is just to kind of give you all a little heads up about what what exactly we're watching um and overall yes i absolutely i think given the fourth episode i would absolutely recommend this series it's the first two that i was a little bit i don't know if this is for you know my age group or my my interest group but it after four yeah i'm i'm in i'm in so give me the tour uh, yeah